This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Tom Bernard, Joe with Tony Price. <laughs> Co-host Catherine Grant. <laughs> Andy Bernard. <laughs> Cassie Trader. It must Boy, be such catchy. A <laughs> I, I learned it from her last yeah, time. I learned it from I, Catherine. What? It's true. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt, then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions, or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. That works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Oh, she's going with a lot of Robert Plant today because it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Bob. Bob Sansevier and Bob Plant. <laughs> and Frank Minotaur with us. How you doing, Frank? Very good. Glad to hear it. The ultimate man survival guide, recovering the lost art of manhood. Why are so many people now afraid to be a man? <laughs> yeah, I think society in general is telling us not to be men. I, I certainly see that in academia. Uh, when I visit colleges and so on, I, I can't believe uh, some of these individuals that I'm looking at that they're they're walking around as non-men. They're told not to be men. They're not even not even that they're told to be women. They're told to be something they can't be, something that doesn't really happen or exist. So they're just a bunch of confused young adults. You know, it's really interesting about that, Frank, because I grew up uh, uh, in in the, the city, 
And, you know, very poor neighborhood and all the rest of that. But I do remember those guys, if you laid your hand on your wife or your kids, you would get a talking to about a, a real man doesn't do that. So if anybody thinks being a man is all about, you know, hitting their wife or something, it was the exact opposite. Real men don't hit their families. I'll never forget that part. That was absolutely true. That 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 did happen a lot. So I was like... Uh, a real man follows a code. Uh, you're absolutely right. You follow yep. the code. And there's a deep philosophy to that code. And it's like today's society doesn't believe there's a philosophy any longer. They're discounted all to just my, pure machismo, which is kind of a meaningless uh, anti-men kind of form of rhetoric. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. A lot of guys, I, I don't know. The whole manhood thing, and it goes from culture to culture. There's no question about that. But to me, it just... You know, being a good example, that's real manhood is being a good example to everybody else and, you know, keeping everything under control, making sure your family is safe and happy. And, and you know, that's womanhood as well. Mothers love to have their kids be happy and their Well, except for my wife who's here. She, women like to have their husbands be happy. All right, you. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> so, wait a minute. I'm between you two. Yeah, that's true. That's a good thing. So, there are two women in studio. What do you think? What do you think of that? The Ultimate Man Survival Guide: Recovering the Lost Art of Manhood. Do you think the art of manhood is gone? I think so. Um, you know, it 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 almost like it, it, women get offended. Yeah. You know, that men try to be men, and I, I don't get that. There was just a high school that had um, a quote that they had to take down because they said it was sexist and everything. And it says, if you're more of a, something like, if you act more like a lady, he'll be more like a gentleman. And they said that was sexist. That's I mean, pretty odd. <laughs> well, I think what it's... It's, it's odd in a public school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to me, I, I've I, had a lot of women do, do tell me that where is the where's the real man? Why can't I find this guy that you talk about and write about? Uh, that Catherine already got me, Frank. For this guy. <laughs> one last one. The one last one left. <laughs> no, I, I love that's your not point. emasculating for the other men in the room at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, no, I think what everybody's talking about is, I mean, at one time in our society, it was you know, you know, the Donald Draper days, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff where guys could do whatever they felt. like. Like, you mean the time when everyone born then is dead? Well, they're not dead. But, <laughs> they they you know, drank themselves pretty to much death. dead. Pretty no, much. But the, but the alcoholic dad who, yeah. you know, as long as he worked, everything was okay. And you know, I, th- I think there's just some, some things that being a man connotates that brings up bad feelings. I, I think yeah. that's what it is. And I, I, I agree. I don't think that you should have to emasculate men to make your point. But it, it, with our society, we're always swinging the pendulum the other, too far the other way. We yeah, never just yeah, land in the middle. Here, yeah, here's the actual quote. It says, the more you act like a lady, the more he'll act like a gentleman. Now, when I first look at that, I don't see anything sex- sexist about it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the more you act like a decent human being, the more he's going to act like a de- You know, it's that's what I'm seeing. The more you she, act like think. a polite, pleasant person, the more likely the other person you're interacting. You know, I think they were just trying to get both sides, you know, 
men and women grouping them together. I think that's well, just what it no, was. Well, we're not even supposed to have gender identities that's anymore. True. Well, that's what they were saying so, in the yeah. article, saying, yeah. you know, it, it's Which not is also crazy. gender fluid. And, I mean, I'm I don't sorry. know. So, if, if you've ever been around babies and toddlers. Yeah, they have <laughs> genders. They're very different human beings. Yeah. I'm sorry when they're oh, a boy or a girl. So for I don't know. I have a six-year-old, and he wants to be a man all the time. He'll even stand up and posture like him. He'll hold his chest out when he's done something good. He, he just wants to be a guy. You just got to let him be that guy, grow into that man he really wants to be. It's, it's all there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Everybody needs to calm down. And whatever you are is what you are. I don't care what you are or who you are or who you identify as. I don't real. I sincerely do not care. Now, Frank, I've been around my agents in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Most of them were gay men. So I've been around gay men my whole life since I was very young, like 18, 19 years old. I never cared at all about that. I don't care about lesbians. I don't care about gay men. That's fine. Whatever you are, that's what you should be. But if I'm a man, then I get to act like a man too, right? But but a gay guy can be a man. That's what it's driving right. me crazy. We're right. talking about the philosophy of a man. Yep. He's a stand-up guy and takes care of people. Does he, does he stand up in a crisis and, and take care of that situation? Is, is he looking around to others and emboldening them, bringing them up as a man should? I don't care if he's gay or straight. What he is. If he's Doesn't doing matter. that, then he's a man. Yep, it does not matter. You're absolutely right. Now, this is me poking the bear named Frank Miniter. Tell us about the NFL kneelers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what drives me crazy is they're so confused. They're making this whole controversy about the national anthem, something that should be bringing us all together, and about a sporting event that should be bringing all of us together, whatever our political affiliations mm-hmm. are. And so they should be making it about what they really want to make it about. If there's, if they're talking about something that's happening in the black community, for, for example, is that what they're after? Well, then articulate that. Show us what that is. And don't kneel at the anthem, but stand up at a different spot and tell us what you really is on your mind so I we like can talk that. about this and solve the problem. Instead, everyone's just arguing about the anthem. I like that a lot. I see that uh, Colin Kaepernick now, uh, he wanted to, remember he turned down the Denver Broncos, at, what, a year or two ago? I think it was last year. And now he said he wanted to come back, and they said, no, you had your chance to be with the Broncos. That was last year. You don't get to, do you don't get to come back whenever you feel like it. And now they're being criticized. Oh, you're turning them away just because of the kneeling thing. No, he had his no, chance to be a Bronco. He passed. It's his business. Yeah, you don't apply to become an NFL player, Ridiculous. right? You get recruited. The whole thing's ridiculous. I, Frank, I, I just tend to like... You know, people who who on. Well, you know what? Oh, I was talking about this at the very beginning of the show, and I wanted to run this by you, Frank. Um, do you think the lack of respect across the board is really harming our society in America? The lack of respect for men. For what do you mean? Yeah, for 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 cops, for first responders, for firefighters, okay. for military. They, 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 I don't know. Some people just don't respect that at all. I think we're respecting them and not understanding them, and really understanding them is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, we're villainizing because we see them as a, as a parody, something too simple. Uh, they're, they're complex people doing pretty difficult things, and you, we have to understand that in context to who they are, and instead of simplifying them to some parody, um, and then destroying them by you know, the Black Lives Matter attacking them, saying all cops are racist, or right. the other side maybe saying all cops are all good people. They're, they're not their people, and they're doing really hard jobs. We have to understand that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that completely. They're just people like everybody else. And some people, when they get a great deal of authority, are going to take advantage of it and misuse that authority. That is going to happen. But to say all cops are racist is flat out idiotic. Right. 
Right. They're doing a lot of good things out there. And for them to stand up and be that ideal we want them to be, we have to articulate that ideal, right? Mm-hmm. we got to articulate that, that man of honor, that woman of honor, that they really should be. Uh, and I don't think society we're doing that. I think we're doing too much tearing down, not enough building up. Yeah, yes, I just thought of something. I, I wonder if, if they ever did that in baseball, which they have not done in baseball. But would they stand for the the Canadian anthem if they played the Toronto Blue Jays would they, they still kneel for their anthem as well because they as a matter of fact put Ukrainian people in, in uh, internment camps during World War II so mm. with us it was the Japanese in Canada it was Ukraine and the Asian yeah they did Asians and too. they did Asians mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. so I wonder if they would kneel for that anthem uh, too you know it was pointed yeah, out. That brings up a bigger political point because yeah. right, there's a big anti-Americanism out there yep. in certain political spheres, and you're, you're, it's like, okay, wait a second, okay, put us in context to the rest of the world and realize who we are and what we're really standing for. I think that's where a lot of the American people are on this. And, okay, we need to improve. We're not perfect either. Right. But come on, you know, here's where we are. Yeah, I mean that that is the whole thing. We have a, our son is the engineer on this show, and you know he just he is who he is, and you know he's. And you're happy, aren't you, Andy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see how happy he was there, Frank. Oh, you hear the joy in his so voice. <laughs> a lot of joy in his voice there, but yeah, I, I just I don't know this. You know that whole thing about you you need to treat me like a man. Well, if you act like a man, I'll treat you like a man. So it's not something you can demand. You have to be a man, and then you'll get treated like a man. Is that not true? Right. Today, even just being stoic is put down. That's such a misunderstood idea that the man has to be stoic in the face of whatever he's dealing with. Well, if you're going to deal with a real situation and keep your head about you and therefore be the one that's actually going to do the hard work in that moment, you do have to learn a certain sort of kind of stoicism. And that, that kind of learn, that stoicism only comes from doing. I'm just feeling and having emotions. Really, okay, that's great. But to actually become who you want to be, you have to physically confront yourself in, yeah. in some pretty incredible ways to grow into that man. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It, it, it's I like the, the way you made that point. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's like just just well, an example. I brought this up earlier. I consider myself to be a man. I have a wonderful wife and a great son and a great daughter. I have great friends. Everything's fantastic. But I went and saw Christopher Robin on Saturday and started tearing up. You know what I'm saying? I I did. I actually. A man can cry. Oh, come on. Absolutely. Yeah, look, look, look at the samurai, right? The ancient yeah, code of Bushido. Uh, a samurai would actually pla- practice flower arrangement, tea ceremony. Yep. You know, they would they'd practice poetry and painting. Uh, you, you can go back to the Middle Ages with, with knights who did the same kind of things. They, they would practice dancing and poetry. Uh, and this is always a part of what men should be. We're well-rounded people. We're not the cliche they, they make us out to be today. Frank, do you think it's bad? I said, my, Like I said, my, Catherine, my wife Catherine is here today. And last week she was standing there kind of like with this, this look on her face. And I said, what is that, your crabby look? And she said, no, it's a your pathetic and sad face. <laughs> <laughs> See, thanks a lot, honey. Hey, you started it. See, my wife is a very strong person. Do you think that's part of it as well? I, I could not be with some, you know, little, what do they call it, a... a a wilting flower, I guess. I could not be with a woman like that because I, I like them to be strong and go, no, this is how I think it should be. And not all, oh, yes, dear. I, I could not live with a yes, dear person. 
men and women should strengthen each other, and ideally yep. that's what feminism yep. and masculinity, that's what they do. One is not putting down the other. That's just not how it should work. If, they, if it's working that way, then there's some problem in the relationship or in society. Indeed. You know, I, I noticed in the in the liner notes for your book, The Ultimate Man Survival Guide, Recovering the Lost Art of Manhood, Colin Kaepernick says players are protesting systemic oppression. I wonder, now, Colin Kaepernick's parents are both white. They adopted him. I have no idea. Yeah, no, they did. His parents are both white. I wonder how they feel about this. I don't see that he lived through a lot of systemic oppression. Maybe he did. Maybe I, I'm totally ignorant on the on the topic. But it sure didn't seem. He, he seems to me like he's a spoiled brat. That's what he seems like to me. Does that make well, sense? For he was 49, or wasn't he? When he was. Um, yep. I, I've had yep. fans. If you look at the message board on that Fox article. Kind of me say, you know, the first couple of games he was sat sulking on the bench because he wasn't allowed to play for yep. whatever reason. Yep. So actually, he started his protest because he was just upset like a little kid. That's exactly that's what true, I've heard. That's, interesting. that's exactly what I've heard as well. Is he sat there because he was whining up a storm? He's a spoiled brat, is what he comes off to me as. You know, his his parents coddled him, and he just can't get over it. Well, he's taken it to a whole new level. And he certainly has. I, I'm not a big fan of somebody wearing uh, pig cops on their socks. I'm not huge on that idea. No. I, I just show other people respect for what. And I don't care what you do for a living. You know, Colin Kaepernick had a, had one good year. Uh, uh, and that was about it. And I don't know what happened after that, but he's he's kind of crabby. That's all I have to say, Frank. He's a kind of a crabby guy. <laughs> well, what bothers me is there are real problems out there that need to be solved. He's, yeah. he's kind of pointing a little bit at them. But there's real problems we need to get to, but we're not allowed to talk to them. I mean, you look at some of the, the messages, the comments on that Fox piece. Are uh, there people saying that I shouldn't be telling blacks what to do? No, I'm talking about human rights. Yeah. You know, just because I'm white, I'm not allowed to talk about this topic. That's where we are in America, where we're shut down too often for politically correct kind of ideas. Yeah, it's true. And it just it stops the conversation and we don't find solutions. No doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Miniter, M-I-N-I-T-E-R. The book is called The Ultimate Man Survival Guide, Recovering the Lost Art of Manhood. It's nice to talk to a man, Frank. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Frank Miniter, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great topic, don't you think? I mean, I, I like women to be women and men to be men, and they both need to be very strong. Like, your wife is a very strong person. Yes, she is. Yeah. I mean, yes, she, she is. is. Catherine's a very strong woman. Melissa, I can't see wilting flower either there, Andy. <laughs> nope. Nope. And then Cassie won't shut up, so I know she, you know, it's one of those deals. But I have to think like a man most of the time. So. Well, yeah, yes. I understand that. When small women have to be scrappy. I do. I have to learn how to be smooth. You know, and I, a lot of the things I've done in my life has been in a man's world. I've worked on cars. I've worked, um, you know, uh, technical stuff, technician stuff, putting things, fixing things, mm-hmm. coaching football, um, you know, and I don't expect them to tailor to me. I tailor to them because I'm entering their world. I like it. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I know exactly. So I'm not going to show up on the football field in high heels and say, let's let's play some football, boys. Well, you know June you know? Cleaver. No. That's all I have to say. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're going to talk to Tony Price about all this this great endeavor. It started when in July? July 2nd July at 7 a.m. is when it started. And July 2nd at 7 a.m. We'll be right back. A couple of minutes, Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down over 77 pounds, and I have one more round to go to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It is on Monday, August 20th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. 
that extra baggage melts away really fast. And one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never, ever hungry. Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on August 20th. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. I absolutely love this song. I know I jammed to it in my car. I think the I'm bang. the <laughs> I think I'm the greatest singer when I'm in my car. Well, everybody knows. <laughs> I greatest know I'm the greatest singer. singer when I'm in my car. <laughs> I know it. Oh, so she starts singing and you fade her out. I see. <laughs> I love Susanna Hoff. The only one who belted it out is me here. There'll be none of that from Suzanne Hoff. Well, I, I loved her because back in the 80s, um, there were so many, you know, big hair. And, and, and most of the popular people were blonde. But she was yeah, a brunette. True. I'm a brunette. And I was right. like, oh, my God, there's Finally. somebody who looks like me. I have brown hair. So does she. Yeah, so I, I, I Cindy idolized her. See? <laughs> I love Cindy, too. I love Cindy Lauper. She's very cool. She was going to be with Rod Stewart. I think they rescheduled for October. October oh, really? 14th. Oh, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping we I can go. I saw Cindy Lauper open up for Tina Turner. When she was pregnant. Oh my God! Cindy Lauper was pregnant. Really? Yeah, that was over on uh, University Campus. What's uh, the name of that theater over there at the U of M? Oh, the uh, Varsity. No, mm. no, no, no. The one on the U, the campus. You talking yes. about the big? No, it starts with an N. You want to take uh, what is uh, it? Fourth across the river, and it's right there on the left side of the road. Fourth across the river, left side of the North not Northrop. Yeah, yeah it's Northrop. Northrop. Absolutely. God, That's why I saw. I think of that. Jeez. Yeah, me North, too. Yep. <laughs> It's yeah, that was a phenomenal day. Yeah, I would imagine. That would be a lot of fun. She was dancing in the audience. Pregnant out here. I think she had the baby like the next day or something. I mean, she was really pregnant. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that she yeah. just all of a sudden stopped touring. She just quit. Might it might have had something to do with the baby. Yeah, I'm maybe. just <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe might be true. <laughs> I'm just grasping at ideas here. All right, July second, seven o'clock in the morning. You partner up with a bunch of people. Where was it again? Uh, Grumpy's in Roseville Grumpy's, is where we right. kicked it off. Grumpy's in Roseville. And it was it was kind of a quiet start. Uh, the Dart uh, company showed up with one of their patriotic painted semis and escorted mm-hmm. us out of town. So that was kind of cool. And there was about a half a dozen bikes there. 
And uh, you don't really want me to give you a play-by-play from no, that no, no. day to your today. I don't imagine. Your highlights. Uh, well, we'll start like this. We had the camera crew following us in uh, in my truck, and then we had about a half a dozen bikes, and we lost some at the first stop, and then we lost some at this. By noon, it was me and the camera crew, and my wife was still on the back with me at that point. That's then amazing. she had an emergency. One of her employees in the cigar business crapped out on her or something. So I actually had to drop her off at a bus station in oh, Hayward, geez. and she had to come back. <laughs> Hayward? And then... Um, on the next day was Tuesday morning, so the camera crew all decided to sleep in, so I had to break into their room and wake them up, and then they said, I'm going to go get coffee. Let's be ready to go in 10 minutes, and 10 minutes later, the motorcycle wouldn't start. That was the first breakdown, oh. and then the camera crew came by and said, sorry about the bike, man, but we quit. Oh. What? So, And that was in Ironwood, Michigan. Because you woke them up. Yeah, and they got a... Because <laughs> you woke them up. I, uh, I looked at that, and I just said, okay... Uh, this thing is a little bit too important to get it done. I'm not going to spend a second arguing with you guys. About right, yeah. right. So I just said, give me the keys. They got a different ride home, and, and the truck stayed in, in Ironwood, Michigan. <laughs> is it still there? <laughs> no, I went to get it. Like, oh, you didn't I, mean, get it. I managed to get it back. But, um, but yeah, so at that point, I was broke down in Ironwood, Michigan, and, and uh, all alone. And I pretty much stayed all alone, except for a couple of days. Um this one's a fun story. My wife decided to fly into, she wanted to fly into Philadelphia, and I was going to pick her up in Philadelphia, and we were going to ride together a little bit on the East Coast, and then I was going to drop her off at the next airport or whatever. So that, she's coming in in the morning, so I made it to Philadelphia in the evening, the night before, stayed in this really colorful part of town. <laughs> you know, I was using the phone, and I found a, I found a place to stay. And it turned out to be a woman's upstairs, kind of a Airbnb, kind oh. of a weird deal. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, she just said, yeah, you can sleep up there on the third floor. And I'm looking around and I'm going, okay, we got issues here because there's like people that are looking like they're ready to break the law just everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was in a, it was an old part of downtown Philadelphia. It was only like uh, 10 or 12 blocks from Independence Hall. Oh, okay. So we're in that part of town. And she says, well, there's a police station just right around the corner. There's a little mini police station right around the corner. So I walk over to the police station and I tell them what I'm doing, Gold Star Riot, et cetera, and honoring Gold Star families. And and can you please watch my bike? <laughs> and they say, well, where's the parking? Bring it over here, park it right in front of the window. And the, and the Philadelphia police said, yep, right there. It'll sit all night. Nobody will touch it. So oh, nice. the Philadelphia police watched the bike that night. And then I went to stay in the room and looked around and I said, I'm sure glad she's not here because my wife would never stay in this place. So the next morning I'm supposed to pick her up and she texts me and she says, "The can't come to Philadelphia, coming to Baltimore. I'm going to fly into Baltimore. Look up at the, okay, it's a two hour ride. No problem. Get on the freeway. Her flight is going to land in two hours and I'm getting there in two hours. So Perfect. as I pull into Baltimore, it starts to rain. So I said, okay, well, let's pull off here and make sure that I know exactly where the airport is so I can pick her up. I pull off the road. I check my phone. Text message from my wife that says, bad weather in Baltimore. They're diverting us to Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, you know. Yeah, me, Lord. So I had to ride in the rain for 20 minutes to get out of the rain and get back into Philadelphia. And then... uh, you know, we had a pretty decent ride that night. We met a few people, and, and we did the ride, and we spent the night in a hotel. And the next morning, we are going to go visit this uh, location in 
uh, oh, I suppose it was about two hours west of Philadelphia in a small town near near Harrisburg. And uh, we get there, and the guys are showing us this wonderful little ranch-type place that they got that they wanted us to see. And, and somebody says, well, what are you going to do about riding in the rain? And he said, well, I generally don't worry about riding in the rain. And he said, did you know the rain is coming? And I opened up my, my radar on my telephone, and the entire western half of Whoops. Pennsylvania – is yellow um. on the weather radar and it's moving east so and you know if you've ever seen the weather radar on tv or on your phone or on your app or every now and then you'll see it's all you got the yellow in the middle and then it's green and then you got one spot with no color yeah so it's not raining there <laughs> so i sat down and spent 15 minutes looking at all the county roads in central pennsylvania and i looked at that little dot and i you know pulled up all the weather forecasting experience i could muster from my days in the navy and i managed to follow that little dot of no precipitation for three hours really wow. for three and, and yeah it just followed us we took off from where we were she had to at that she would see she took off from i dropped her off at the baltimore airport actually not quite at the baltimore airport but had to get her to baltimore to the airport that afternoon and that and we managed to get all the way from like harrisburg pennsylvania to downtown baltimore without a drop of rain we're right. The roads were wet, and the rain was all around right. us, nice. but not a drop of rain on us until we got to downtown Baltimore. And as soon as we hit the first red light, she's using her GPS on her phone to get to the airport. It took us right through downtown. I don't know why. Really? Uh, but the, as soon as we hit the first red light, the sky opened up, and we got pounded. Uh, <laughs> that was it? We got pounded. It was so bad. We ended up going. It took us like 15 minutes to go six blocks, and they just said, this is ridiculous. I can't see. The roads are slippery. Uh, Every red light turned red in front of us. We're on hills the motorcycles overloaded because i told her to pack light so she brought a backpack filled with books <laughs> oh yeah what so you want. anyhow i pulled into a little gas station and um she ubered because <laughs> the rain was just pouring and uh uber came and picked her up and took her to the airport and uh that was one of the rainy days what how did you judge the speed at which you drove the bike to keep up with that hole and the i mean how did you know how fast to go so you didn't outpace the storm you know, uh, you know it was a lot of, it was a lot of dumb luck oh was it, it? <laughs> it was a lot of dumb luck well, there you go uh you know i i just kind of knew that the storm was moving in that direction and and i was just hoping i was just hoping yeah but it, yeah i got that, that was one of the most miraculous weather things <laughs> i think i've ever done in my life i have a question for you the, the, the place in philadelphia were there people there that looked like they might be doing drugs <laughs> that I think the question is, did I see any that looked like they weren't? That they weren't doing drugs. No. Actually, when I, I was inside that little police station, and another citizen walked in and, and interrupted and said, I got to tell you about this. And I overheard her say, there's a guy a block and a half that way over by the playground with his pants at his ankles. Oh, God. No. True story really happened. And she said, oh, I'm sure glad I'm here in the police station. Right. Yeah, the, well, I understand that. Absolutely, yeah, they exactly. just let you spend the night at the police station? Yeah, this was, I, I think that was about 10 o'clock at night when when I heard that. Yeah, just the citizen walked in off the street. I thought you guys should know there's a guy over there at the playground with his pants around his ankles. Oh, God. Oh, who hasn't done that? You know. Um, the reason I asked you that is because Daryl Hammond was just on the, the morning show a couple of weeks ago, and he was in Philadelphia. Almost exactly what you described, the... the room you were in or whatever and a guy goes man i know you 
I recognize you from somewhere. I know you, but I don't know where it's from. And this woman smoking crack. <laughs> She's smoking crack, and she looks and goes, fool, that's Clinton. Because <laughs> Daryl Hammond used to do Bill oh, Clinton impression. That's, right. that's Clinton. That's what he said. Fool, that's Clinton. Yeah, might, might have been in the same neighborhood. It sounds an awful lot. You might have been in the same place, actually, because he, that, yeah, Daryl, stay out of the crack houses. Probably a good idea, don't you think? Yeah, uh, yeah I think that was only, just about my only inner city experience. So it wasn't my most colorful hotel experience. But, no, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I, I made it a point to stay at the, at the, crappiest roach motels i could find wonderful so i mean there was a adds to the experience yeah, yeah. well it, there was also a, a a fiduciary responsibility i was trying to uphold and i was also trying to make sure i stayed in the right mindset because all the time that i'm riding i'm thinking okay we got people on active duty over in the middle east and they're mm-hmm. sleeping in crappier Right. Conditions right. Yes, no doubt. True. So, uh, and they're all volunteers. So, I figured if I'm volunteering for this thing, I'm going to volunteer to do it um, with the the conditions as as crappy as as I can. But there was a spot I stayed in. Actually, it was in uh, Burns, Oregon, I think. Burns or Barnes, Oregon, somewhere east of Bend, up in the high hills. And I was I, I made it a habit to sleep with the TV on can't really explain why i just chose to, it it just kind of worked out better for me to sleep with the tv on and i got awoken by something tickling my cheek and i so i swiped it off I and then it. i opened my eyes <laughs> and the tv was on so there was some light in the room and i saw an insect about an inch long unlike any insect i have ever seen in my life <laughs> a little cockroach uh, no, it wasn't. It was green. It was, not a roach. It was green. green. It was green. It was. It looked like a giant mosquito with green wings. It was uh, just. I just uh. kind of said, "I'm sure glad I'm leaving in a couple hours." So, I yeah. would imagine. At first light, true. I was back on the bike, and um, and that leads up to another really interesting uh, thing that happened on the road. I left that town, and I rode pretty much on a level road for about two and a half or three hours to get to Bend and stopped in Bend, tanked up, got something to eat. Wonderful little uh, Mexican place there bought me some breakfast. So I got a full tank and a full belly and I'm all ready to go to, I think it was Lebanon, Washington, or Lebanon, Oregon, which is closer to the coast. Mm-hmm. So I'm going from Bend over the mountains to get to the coast. And of course, I'm at about a 6,500 foot level, sea level. So it's all going to be downhill. And I'm thinking, well, I've done this before. I've ridden in the mountains. The roads are curvy. No problem. We're going to go down there. I left Bend, and the speed limit average was 25. I was Uh, lucky to hit third gear. I had to do everything I could to manage all of the corners without getting run over by the car behind me. So just and switch this, backs left and yeah. And this over. road was 110 miles long. It oh. took me three hours to work these corners. And I mean, you go around the corner, downshift, upshift, brake, lean, lean. It, it was just, for the first 15 minutes, it was fun. Oh, and then yeah, it I became suppose, work. Yeah. And then by the time I got down to the bottom, I found a place to park the bike. I pulled off the road, put the kickstand down. I think I was shaken. Uh, and really? I, it, yeah, because a lot of incredibly physical work. Yeah, I suppose, to, yeah. To, you know, the motorcycle is 1,100 pounds. Oh, wow. So I'm, you know, navigating all them corners. And like I said, first 15 minutes, a lot of fun. That's what all the motorcyclists want to do. <laughs> yeah, lots and lots minutes. of fun. Yeah. At the, you know, we're pushing three hours of this stuff, and I was, uh. yeah, it was, that was a, that was a fun road. However, that was not the worst <laughs> of my r- mountain road experiences. 
The worst one was I was leaving uh, Big Springs. Big Springs. Where's Big Springs? Wyoming. Leaving Big Springs, Wyoming at dawn, going to Estes Park. Colorado. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I just look at the GPS and I say, okay, which one is the shortest road? And according to my GPS, it pointed out this one road as being the shortest road. So I'm on the motorcycle and it takes me six hours of riding, you know, stopping for gas and this, that. And six hours later, I get to the first mountain pass, which I think is called Rabbit Ears. Uh, so I managed to go through Rabbit Ears Mountain Pass, which incidentally was on fire. And, and it had a about a 40 mile an hour steady breeze coming off the hill from the fire. So I'm kind of riding at about a 30 degree angle down this road. So now we're seven and I get through that. Now we're seven and a half hours into this ride for the day when I get on US Highway 34, which is supposed to be the shortest route to get to Estes Park. What the GPS does not tell me is that US Highway 34 is also the highest elevation continuous road in the Northern Hemisphere. Oh. Other than that, though. So remember how I said the speed limits were like 25 and 30 mm, and 35 yep, yep. over in Oregon? Here the speed limits are 15 and 20. And the corners are hairpin tight, and I get like halfway up this thing, and I'm, I'm, I had no idea where I was. I thought I was on a mountain pass. I just thought we were going to go through there. So I find a spot to pull off on the side of the road after riding for about 45 minutes or an hour, and I look over, and you, you got the big sign there that says what mountain you're looking at, mm-hmm. and it says Never Summer Mountain. And I see Never Summer. And I look over at the mountain. Whoops. It's got snow on it. Whoops. And I'm thinking, okay, now it's time to put my jacket on because it's not 90 degrees anymore. It's closer to 50 or 60. Put the jacket on. And actually, I made a little selfie movie at that point, too, because I was feeling a little lightheaded from the from the elevation. Uh, elevation and um put the jacket on hour later i'm at the top i pull into this parking lot and it says elevation 11,782 feet so i pull out my phone and i make a little selfie and i say if i was on an airplane i could use my electronic devices right now <laughs> that's true and i look around and i you know there's snow-capped mountains are visible everywhere and that's when it started to rain but it wasn't really rain it was sleet uh <laughs> and the temperature up there was probably 40 uh. so Put the chaps on, and then I tried to make it back down the hill because now oh, I got to because I still have to get to Estes Park. <laughs> so yeah, I rode down the hill in the sleet and the rain, and the cars behind me trying to run me off the road and stuff like that. So that was probably the most harrowing yeah. experience of that ride. And you know, I I think I could say this because this is a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I could feel my testicles getting bigger. Yes, I understand. <laughs> is that kind of a harrowing experience? We will be right back right after this because stocky. Up next, Tom Bernard Show. John, I just got another complaint about our delivery service. Oh, not again. Yep, we have to do something about our courier service. You know, they're a reflection of us. What happened now? Well, you know that one driver that has the dog that rides with him? Uh Uh-huh. Well, when he got out of his truck to deliver our package, his dog got out and delivered, well, uh, his own package, if you know what I mean. That's it. I want you to call... Priority Courier Experts, because, you know, they've got more than 500 drivers. And tell them we need... A professional, reliable courier service. And make sure they have internet order entry and real-time tracking you know i had priority courier experts account rep in here about a month ago and who knows how many accounts we could have serviced better if we had just signed up and started using the twin cities largest most reliable on-call courier service what's that number because the next package is going with priority courier experts already dialing 651-748-4477 priority courier experts can we help you can you ever priority courier experts every time you call us we deliver 
Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It was a cold September morning when Kostaki Economopolis called the Tom <laughs> Bernard Podcast. This is a cool version of this. <laughs> it is a good version of that song. You know, I, was, I love it. This morning I was going through the Greek alphabet and I said, I wonder when Kostaki's going to call in again. <laughs> that's a lie. That's, a, that's what made you think of me? Yes, the Greek alphabet, no question. <laughs> You know, Tom, the combination of that music and your voice, uh, can I say this? It's a podcast that makes my testicles grow. <laughs> there you go, sir. You got that dialed right has in. has that baby. Yes, indeed. I wondered if you heard that. Indeed. So, Kasaki, the baby's awesome. The baby's great. Wonderful. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear it. Uh, I did not watch the Viking game on Saturday. I'm not going to sit inside at noon on a beautiful summer Saturday. So I recorded it, but then a number of listeners sent me texts or emails saying what the final score was. Yeah. So there was no reason to watch it. I just I didn't watch any of it because I already right. knew the outcome. It's the free season. You don't have to watch too no, much unless no. you're a fantasy dork. Yeah, you're good. A fantasy good. dork. I like, like that. You're kind like of a me. Fan. <laughs> like you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm watching Hard Knocks, though. Are you watching that? No. It's really compelling. It's I, you know, I'd love that show. This year, the Browns are on Hard Knocks. Which oh is my god! Redundant. <laughs> um, it's true. If you've seen the Browns play in the preseason, you've already lost a bet of some kind. Why are you watching that? Um, yes. No, actually, I'm interested because it's Hard Knocks. It's it's a very well produced show, and the Browns have some compelling stories this year. That if you've seen clips of them playing this year. Uh, they have no stripes on their otherwise just orange helmets because they took them off. Why? The show because the coach said you got to earn your stripes. So that's oh one of God! Things so he's making them work. So if the Browns play really well, they get to be the Bengals. Is that is that what's happening? There? Yeah, that's pretty much. You get stripes on your orange helmet. That's very, <laughs> how good do they have to play to get a logo? That's a fair question. See now he says. <laughs> yeah, we'll go. Oh, go ahead, sir. Sorry. The only NFL team with no logo. It's uh, 32 teams in the NFL. It's the only one that doesn't have a logo. My nine-year-old daughter has a slime business. That has a logo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it is what it is. Such is life. I just, uh, I don't know. The the Cleveland Brown, what... When's the last time? Was it like 1952 the last time they won the NFL championship? It's been a while. I, I was doing this. <laughs> yes. uh, it's been 603 days since the Cleveland Browns won a football game. How about that? Oh, mm-hmm. God. Ouch. Oh. And if my math is correct, it's been, uh, they've won one game in the last 981 days. <laughs> <laughs> 981 days is long enough to conceive a child, bring it a term, and teach it to say your name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it's right. Unless, uh, yeah, that's a long true. time. 
Yeah, it's just the, – the, and the sad thing about it is for the Cleveland Browns fans, they hadn't won anything since the early 50s. They leave town, move to Baltimore, and then win two Super Bowls. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, that's oh, right. Man, that's cold. They, yeah, they, they've had a tough run. The Washington Generals have more wins than the Browns lately. Ooh, that's cold. But, yeah, I've won more arguments with my wife in the last 981 days. So none? Uh, two. Two. Oh, two? Okay. I have two victories. <laughs> two victories. How many arguments? Three, three years. Oh, hundreds. hundreds and hundreds of arguments. You've won two. And, and you only won that by saying, yes, you're right. I am a loser. <laughs> so that's the only way you're going to win those arguments. That's just how it is. Yes, you're right, dear. Look, I just won yes. that argument by telling you you're right. Right, right. <laughs> so, Let's call it a draw. I'm out. Kostaki, I've been wanting uh, to talk to you about this for quite some time. I have a concern. Uh, Cassie just brought it up. It happened in the Viking game on Saturday. I am very concerned about the defensive players who have to lift their heads up to tackle someone. Someone's going to get killed if they have to do that. Seriously, yeah, this that is new not helmet natural. rule is definitely mm-hmm. questionable at best. I don't. I, there's going to be a lot of talk about it going forward. I, I, they've been calling it really strict in the uh, yeah they have. In the preseason games. Have you ever tried to like tackle a pillow with your head up instead of down? <laughs> It hurts. I appreciate you making it relatable to me by making it a pillow. Yeah, making it a pillow instead of a grown man. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I I, I don't know. I just, it looks very dangerous to me. I might be wrong, and there are doctors that can call and tell me, but if you're going in to drop your shoulder but lift your head, you're asking for a broken neck, it seems to me. Well, what they're supposed yeah, to be, yeah. what they're supposed to be doing, and what we teach the kids in football, is that they have to have their head up because they don't want them going head first right. into a player. They want their head up, but when they wrap up, they're supposed to. They call it like uh, eyes to the thighs. So they want the side of their head to be right about where their hips and butt cheek is. Really? So they're yeah, supposed wow. to have it to the side. They're not supposed to hit them head on. Head on, okay. Yeah. So right. I wouldn't put that head up too high, though. I seriously, no. that's very, very dangerous. You're supposed to stay low, yeah. eyes to the thighs, wrap up. So Every basically, time. you just—that was my entire sporting life, right there. <laughs> it was all. It was everything. I, all I ever did was eyes up. <laughs> Eyes to this something. Wow. I don't remember the whole thing. That's too hard. Something, something, something. Um, I your name came up last Friday, as a matter of fact, at about this time. Well, a couple hours from now, I was sitting on a panel with uh, Lamont from Lamont and Tonelli, Paul Castronovo from Miami, with uh, oh, yeah. Steve Dahl from Chicago, and a buddy of yours, a good buddy of yours, Tom Griswold from the Bob and Tom Show. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was a really nice, nice. panel. It That's really quite nice. a panel. Where was that? I was in Chicago. Oh, it, cool. it was the I guess we're the only five guys in America that have been on the same morning or been on morning radio for thirty years. Oh wow. I guess. Wow, that's a great club. I was trying to think of Brother Wheeze, I think, is there, too, but yeah. he couldn't make it. He no. could not make it. So there were six of us, apparently. And we went out to dinner with Tom, and he said that he really likes you. And we said, is it the same Kostaki that we know? Yeah. Are you blind? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Thanks, I have a question for you about Tom, because I, I, I liked all of them. Lamont is a great guy from Lamont and Tonelli. Really good guy. Yeah. And I've, I've known done that show. Yeah. yeah. I've known Steve Dahl and, and Paul Castanova for years, but I had never met Tom Griswold. He's a very... Very intense guy. I mean, he, he's, he's a deep thinker, and he's got this really intense look on his face all the time. 
he can be. He's certainly uh, that head is certainly turning. You know, he's he's working on something. I felt like <laughs> such a jackass because somebody asked the question. So, what does it feel like when you've had a bad book? Uh, Lamont, let's start with you. And he said something, and then Paul said something, and Steve said something. And just before Tom Griswold was going to talk, they came to me. And I said, "I've never had one." And after I said <laughs> that, I went, "Oh my God, did I just look like the biggest jackass on earth?" But well, we haven't. I mean, what can I tell you? You know, it'll start happening any day now because they've screwed up the rating so badly it might never re- recover. But right, no, it was. You- it was- it was a lot of fun. Am I am I right in thinking that you held the record or hold the record for the biggest uh, percentage of listeners? Yeah, yeah. We had a thirty. We had a thirty share at one time, which is unheard of. I mean, That's back in the crazy. days when there were three AMs in town, yes, then it did happen. But since the modern era era of <laughs> FM radio, yeah, it was a thirty share. It was, you know, I tell you, the the weird thing about that though, Kostaki, is that it feels great and horrible at the same time because you literally say to yourself what the hell am i going to do next right right it's yeah, terrifying to go up from here <laughs> i mean it's terrifying it's like oh yeah your ratings went down you're only at 28.5 now I'm like oh god <laughs> and it did by the way that's exactly what happened yeah we think that that 30 wasn't really real it was probably more like a 28 no it was real i calm down I so you always have that conversation no matter where you are right oh there's no question about it you always you, somebody always thinks oh, you, you know and you're as cool as you think you are yes i actually am because i don't think i'm that cool so actually i do but you know, <laughs> i don't know but yeah so many people came up to me and talked about you that you know doing quick snaps or, or just mm-hmm. appearing in their studios and you are loved throughout the country sir oh that's great to hear thank well, you, you for are. passing that along or, or lying either way oh, well, you know just don't I'll mention it. it don't mention it to tom griswold with bob and tom because he's gonna go what that never happened yeah griswold's been great to me many yeah. years of t- talking to griswold he really really <laughs> likes you a lot there's no doubt about it so it was it was fun to hear your name and what you're doing and people talking nicely about you because Catherine and i never do nope <laughs> <laughs> that's not true so it's okay. good to, it's good to be back on with you guys oh, thanks for wonderful. having me on for another crazy year of this thing oh, it's gonna be great now you know like usual i'll probably pay you like five years from now <laughs> i only pay i only pay Kostaki when i see him i keep saying send me a bill send me a bill he never sends me a bill so i have to like hand him the cash that's right. Over uh, lobster and eggs. That's how I get paid. <laughs> eggs, lobster and eggs at Bar La Grassa and cash on the barrel head. There is a correlation between comedians and uh, Bar business. La and business. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, <laughs> that's not true. Best. Not the best business people on earth. That is very, very true. No question. I'll, I'll take that, Dig. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. And it's... I'm better than most by a lot. You know, they're better business people than that one actress, what was her name, that bought the town for $30 million? About an entire oh, yeah. town. Well, who that was, was it? my town. That was Athens, Georgia, right? Yeah. I believe it was, it, it was either Athens or right next to Athens. Right. Oh, uh, what was, it was um, uh, Alec Baldwin's wife. What's her yes, name? Yes, it was oh, at the time. Kim Basinger? Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. That's exactly. Right. Kim Basinger. She bought a town for $30 million, then filed bankruptcy. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's gonna probably happen. not the best business decision. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, you start putting down 30. The one that I, I just love, and I did not know this until I watched the special, Michael Jackson died. He was $500 million in debt. 
What? He was $500 million in debt when he died. How could you possibly spend enough to get into debt with what? that level of income? Plus, who would give you the money? Hey, you're already at $300 million. I don't know if I can. <laughs> no, come on. I just need $200 million more. It's not that big a deal. $500 million That's in debt. It's just mind-blowing, isn't it? It's amazing. Oh, it is. It's amazing. That is amazing. Eh, what are you going to do? So, okay, we got two. You- what? I was going to say, uh, I don't know if you saw this story. I love this story. Bud Light, speaking of spending a little bit of money to get a lot of attention, has victory fridges in bars around Cleveland that unlock when the Browns win their first game. No. <laughs> oh, no. Free beer. Oh, uh, no. Great. But where are the tequila fridges to help us forget the last 20 years? <laughs> That's I'm guessing true. no born on dates on these beers. Oh, okay. God. Might be there for a while. That's great. You know, it would be nice to unlock Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do you know this? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame closes at 5.30 p.m. What? Yeah. Why? Really? Is that when Jimi Hendrix was all done rocking? <laughs> it's 5.30. I got to head to the house. <laughs> what? Hanson stayed up till 9. It's 5.30. I didn't even know this, but I was told that that my voice is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is that real? Is that uh, introducing a big band or something? Uh, no, apparently uh, uh, they use my voice as the example of uh, 90s classic rock radio. Oh, really? Do they have, cool. have to bring that up to you? They just can use it? I. They probably went to Dave, and Dave said, yeah, go ahead. Oh. Not, never mind that it's your voice. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And it all worked out in the end. But, yeah, it was kind of nice to hear that. And the Smithsonian, we're in the Smithsonian, too, because of the we were the first radio station or the first broadcaster in America to call 9-11 a terrorist attack. Really? Yep, we were the first in the country to do that. That's a fun claim to fame. What? what how did you do? What? What time was that? <laughs> when that second plane that was down. on its way to hit the second building, we went. This is terrorism. Okay, we're not screwing around here. There's not some guy lost. Well, first of all, the first time we saw it, there's this massive hole in the tower. Yeah. And they said a, a light plane has hit the. And that was not a light plane. That I mean, that hole was about 150 feet by 150 feet. Yeah, I remember it was not a light that. Yeah, it was really unbelievable, but, you know. So when are you coming to town again? Are you going to come in January? Uh, I haven't planned yet, but I, uh, I love that club. I'll be back. I'll Why be do back. you always come in January? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I used to, for about 15 years, I was on the summer schedule, and Lewis is like, you got to come in the winter. There's more crowds. There are bigger crowds. That is true. The crowds are bigger in the winter, but Kostaki's brilliant. He goes to uh, Acme in January, and then he goes to Miami in August. So that's great. It's really bright. <laughs> really this bright. year, I tried to match up the Super Bowl media stuff with my trip to Acme. It didn't work out. So I actually came to Minneapolis twice in January and February. Oh, God. Trips. Yeah. That's, well, uh, that's bad booking. I need myself a Dave. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, so, I love that you casually go, eh, Dave probably told him it was fine. <laughs> Dave told him, yeah, whatever. Dave probably said, here, here's the audience. He can use We all this. need a Dave to take care, of, take care of stuff for us. Now, are you not back on again until the first game, of the first real game of the season? Uh, if you'll have me, if you're around, uh, if two you'll weeks have from now. Me. So I'll just have one last week off. So the week of the first game, I'll call you before that. Oh, before the, will you call on the Monday before the first game of the season? Yeah, it's two weeks from now, and if you're not there yet, I'll call you the next day or something. Well, isn't two weeks from now the uh, 
is Labor Day? Two weeks from today is Labor Day, isn't it? Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't think we're going to be I on think, that uh, Monday. Yeah, we're not going to be on... Uh, oh, gosh, I went... Okay. Uh, yes, we won't be on the 3rd. I think uh, you're scheduled to be on Thursday the 6th. Ooh, I like it. Will that work for you? <laughs> Game day. We could we could figure that out. We'll, All right, we'll, good. I'll we take gotta... a look and make sure I can swing it. But yeah, probably. Well, we can't be going through the football season without talking to. I just call you CE now. We'll find it. <laughs> we'll find a day that'll work for Kostaki that All week. Right. <laughs> we'll figure it out. All right, man. Great talking to you again, sir. Great talking to you. Can I get out on a joke? It's just I, you it's always least. do, man. Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield threw out the first pitch at an Indians game. It was super high and outside, which could be the name of the new Josh Gordon documentary. <laughs> super high and outside. <laughs> and outside, but for different reasons. Good night, uh, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Kostaki, thanks, thanks very guys. much. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Tony, Bye. thanks for stopping in. Great to have you in the studio. And the family, thanks. of course. Thanks for letting me in. Oh, as always. No, you're not heading out again until when? Well, there's a wedding on the books this weekend. Oh, that's so, good. Um, sometime after that, probably right after Labor Day. I'll All right. go up for five days to uh, see some families in the central part of the country and in that one in Wisconsin. We will stay in touch. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard. Joe.